All right, did you all get the memo that we're taking a quiz this morning? Yep, take out your number two pencils. And here's the first question. What does Jesus' other name, Emmanuel, mean? Who knows? Go shout it out. God is with us, yes. All right. Or God with us, technically. All right. Now it gets a little trickier. Number two, who visited Joseph, Mary, and Jesus on the night he was born? Well, hold on. Let me give you some some options here. (laughs) Wise men is A. Shepherds and wise men is B. Just shepherds is C. Shepherds, wise men, and all dwelling in Bethlehem is for, and number five, the little drummer boy. <laughs> it's C. It was only the shepherds on the night he was born. The wise men showed up a little bit later. Yeah, look that up, huh? Yeah, all, right. all right, number three, the wise men traveled westward, northward, southward, eastward to Jerusalem. Westward, right, westward, because they came from the east, right? All right, what gift did the wise men not give to Jesus? Gold, silver, frankincense, myrrh. Oh, you guys are good. Because what's that old song from Frosty? Silver and gold. And there was no, no silver. <laughs> All right, last one. To where did Jesus' family flee from Bethlehem? Samaria, Nazareth, Elburn, Egypt. Egypt, very good. You guys, you, you all pass, you get an A. Okay. All right, so well, I'm going to continue... Um, by asking five questions, uh, five Christmas questions. And these are what I would say would be the most important questions, not only about Christmas, but about life and salvation and eternity. So it's good you showed up and you got the five most important questions in the world. Okay, so question number one is, Do you have to turn the clicker on for it to work? Yes, you do. All right, no. Question number one, who is this baby? You know, I I think there are millions of people this morning who are singing Christmas carols, and uh, they have nativities in their yard, and they have Christmas cards, and they just think he's the cutest little thing, right? But who is he? And the answer is, he is God, right? There's one God who exists in three persons eternally. Three persons, one God. Three persons, one God. How does that work? I don't know. Three persons, no, yeah, three persons, one God, okay? And one of those persons, 2,000 years ago, really was born a baby, right? Now, That doesn't mean he first came into existence then. He has existed for eternity. He took on flesh and became a baby. 
2,000 years ago. Now, one of the stumbling blocks for our Jewish friends and our Muslim friends is they look at you as Christians and they say, you're worshiping a man. And that's not right. And they would point to the Old Testament scriptures and say, as we read them, there's only one God, and he's not a man. And we come back and we say, let's take a look at just one Old Testament scripture, which was written 700 B.C., 700 years before the baby was born. And Isaiah writes, for to us, a child is born. So there will be a human birth, right? To us, a son is given. He will be a male. And the government will be on his shoulders. He will be a king. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. In other words, he's full of wisdom. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. So we can even point to the Old Testament scriptures and say, see, here a human baby will be called Mighty God. What came to fulfillment in the New Testament is not out of line with what your scriptures, at least to the Jewish people, what your scriptures teach. Of course, in the New Testament, uh, we, we read that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and then the Word became flesh, so the Word was with, and the Word was God. He's, he is God, all right? Now, there's a, there's a whole different group of people who, who look at Jesus being God, and they go, I'm sorry, but we live in the modern world, and I'm a rational person, and I can only accept what's logical and rational. And one God being three persons at the same time, and one of them being born a baby in the middle of time, is not rational. I just can't buy it. And here's how I would, would respond to that. Let's look at how rational the opposite is, the alternative, atheism. Okay, see, so when an atheist says, I'm logical, I'm scientific, I'm rational, here's what they have to believe. That one day, there was nothing, not even space and time, just nothing. And uncaused, the universe and everything in it exploded into being, an uncaused event which is really against reason, but everything popped into existence uncaused from nothing, and then just accidentally, whatever this explosion was, it banged around for billions of years, and we get people. 
with brains and eyes and complexities. So what's more rational? Nothing creating everything or a God creating reality. Now, once you realize how irrational the nothing option is, and you go, there must be a God, now we've introduced the supernatural. And once we've introduced the supernatural, if he can speak and bring reality into existence, what's so hard about him saying, oh, by the way, I'm such a unique being that I'm only one, but I'm three persons. We've already established that there is a supernatural, so one and three is not impossible. And one of them being born a baby, yeah, it's a miracle. It's not your normal thing, but it's not impossible. All right? And the scriptures make it clear, both in the old and the new, that that baby is God. All right, so that's question number one. Question number two, just as important, why did he come? Did he just wonder what it's like down here and say, I think I'd like to become a human, look around a bit? No. So the angel Gabriel appears to Joseph. Joseph is engaged to Mary, but they haven't come together yet. And she's going to be pregnant. And the angel tells Joseph why this baby's going to be born. She will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus, which in Hebrew is Joshua, which means Jehovah saves, God saves. Name him God saves. Because he will save his people from their sins. Okay? See, the reason he came is because we all have a problem. We're sinners, and our sin alienates us from God, not only here on earth, but for eternity. Now, for this verse... To be good news, we have to first really believe the bad news. And the bad news is we are sinners separated from, from God. Okay? Now, here's the problem. When you talk about being sinners, a lot of people go, well, I'm not that bad. Because we're all really, really good at playing the comparison game. Because you can always look downstream and find somebody worse than you. And then you can feel really good about yourself. You know, the, the Pharisee who went to the temple to pray, he, that, that's what he was doing. He was playing the comparison game. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I feel pretty good about myself. Right? He, was a, he was a Gregorian Pharisee. Right? But here's the problem. 
On Judgment Day, God is not going to judge us by comparing us to one another. He's going to grade you on a straight scale, not a curve. Okay? And it's either pass-fail, and to pass, you just simply need to be perfect. Okay? Um, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So, if you were to stand before God today, and he said, we're going to judge you, and you're thinking, I'm pretty good compared to my friend over here. And he says, all right, here's your life, and here are my commandments. How'd you do keeping them? Well, I did pretty well. No, 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 no. How'd you do keeping them perfectly, not one slip up? You see, if we think we go to heaven based on our law-keeping ability, we fail. Which is exactly what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 3.10. All who rely on observing the law, right, to be saved, to get into heaven, are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. You go, I'm pretty good. Okay, you have chosen law-based salvation. And if you choose that path, your standard is perfection. And you will not pass. Right? So I always like to use the illustration um, that Judgment Day is far more like gymnastics than it is like football. What do I mean? Well, you can be a really, really bad football team. Do you know any? (laughs) You know, they always start out in the first half looking like, hey, they're going to pull this off, and then there's the second half, right? Um, But let's say, so who's, who's the lowest in the league? I think the Texans are the lowest, right? So let's say the Bears play the Texans, and the Bears win 42 to 41. And the Bears walk off the field thinking, we're pretty good. But it's just two bad football teams playing each other. (laughs) Right? It's more like gymnastics, where in gymnastics, you're really not competing against your opponents. You are competing against a perfect standard in the minds of the judges. And one little slip up, and you don't get a 10. Right? You get your nine point something. This is judgment day. 100% perfection in thought, mind, and deed. Your entire life. How, would, you, would you want a God who didn't demand perfection? A kind of holy God, a kind of righteous God, a kind of loving God. No, he's a perfect God. So his standard is perfection, right? So why did he come? Because we all got a problem. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? Next question. How does he save us from our sin? Okay. Now, we have a problem. We have sinned and broken God's holy standard. God has a problem. You know what his problem is? He's loving 
and just. Let's put it this way. He's perfectly loving and perfectly just. And by just, I mean, as the just judge of the universe, he must punish all sin. Or he wouldn't be just. But he's loving. He doesn't want you to go to hell. So there's, there's, a, there's a tension there. So what's the solution? The solution is he himself becomes our substitute. He says, I'm not going to lower my standard. I'm going to keep my standard as perfection. And you deserve death. And I will take that death upon myself. And that's why he sends Jesus to die on the cross as our perfect substitute. So, a million verses we could look at, but 2 Corinthians, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He gets our sin. We get his righteousness. Okay? Um, don't cry, Elizabeth. I'm going to read the blood transfusion story. Okay. There was a little boy whose sister needed a blood transfusion. The doctor explained that she had the same disease the boy had recovered from. The boy had, uh, uh, wait, the doctor explained that she had the same disease the boy had recovered from two years earlier. Her only chance for recovery was a transfusion from someone who had previously conquered the disease. Since the two children had the same rare blood type, the boy was the ideal donor. Would you give your blood to Mary? The doctor asked. Johnny hesitated. His lower lip started to tremble. Then he smiled and said, sure, for my sister. Soon the two children were wheeled into the hospital room. Mary, pale and thin, Johnny, robust and healthy. Neither spoke, but when their eyes met, Johnny grinned. As the nurse inserted the needle into his arm, Johnny's smile faded. He watched the blood flow through the tubes. With the ordeal almost over, his voice slightly shaky broke the silence. Doctor, he said, when do I die? Only then did the doctor realize why Johnny had hesitated, why his lip had trembled when he agreed to donate his blood. He thought giving his blood to his sister meant giving up his life. In that brief moment, he had made his great decision. Good news is he didn't need to die, right? But Jesus did. He is our substitute, okay? Now, you go, that's great, then we're all in, right? Oh, wait a minute. Number four, how do we get what Jesus did for us. How, if he died for us, are we, do we just walk into heaven? Or how do we get what he did for us? And the answer is by faith. By faith alone, not by anything we do to earn it. Okay? Favorite verses, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. In this, not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And it's been a while since I did my credit card illustration, but um, I guess I could pull out any card. How about Target? 
Nah. <laughs> All right, so debit card. If, uh, if I go to the ATM, I can put that in. My two accounts come up, checking, savings. And I can transfer money from one to the other and the other back. I could do that all day. You can do it online, right? So imagine that your account is linked to Jesus' account. And your account is negative balance. And his account has billions of zillions of dollars. You put your debit card in. You call up both those accounts. You push the, but the button. And all of your negative balance is transferred to him. And all of his positive billions is transferred to you. And the pushing of the button is faith. It's not going to church and earning your salvation, though I, I'm glad you're in church. It's not giving, though I'm glad you give. It's not saying your prayers, though we should pray. It's trusting in Jesus. And the transfer takes place. Okay, now, one last question. So how, how do we get what Jesus did? Through faith. What is faith? Okay, what is, what is faith? And, and here I want to point out that there is a difference between head faith and heart faith. Okay? Or, or let's put it this way. Um, the book of James talks about a kind of faith that doesn't save and a kind of faith that does save. So, kind of a synonym for faith is trust. I will put my trust in him. You know, it's, it's a there's a difference between saying, I believe that Jesus is the Savior. Every Sunday school kid can sign off on that. There's a difference between that and saying, I am personally trusting Jesus as my Savior. So let me end with the, the classic story. There was a guy, really a guy that, that would string a tightrope over Niagara Falls, and crowds would gather on either side, and he would say, how many of you believe I can walk across the tightrope? And they would shout and scream, we believe, we believe. And he would walk across. And he said, how many of you believe I can do it blindfolded? Oh, we believe. He would put on a blindfold and walk across. How many of you believe I can push a wheelbarrow across the rope? Oh, we believe, we believe. How many of you believe I can put a man in the wheelbarrow and push it across Niagara Falls. We believe, we believe. I need a volunteer. <laughs> Suddenly there were no believers. Because <laughs> that kind of belief required trusting him. Okay? See, the, the, the bad news is we're sinners separated 
for eternity from God. The good news is Jesus came, he was born, he died on the cross to pay for our sin. The good news is you are saved by faith alone in Christ alone. But believing in him means trusting him, opening your heart and surrendering to him. Right? Maybe, maybe you've understood all this in your head, but maybe this Christmas morning it will move from your head to your heart and you will truly place your faith in him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are real. This isn't just a holiday. It's the day we remember that you truly the eternal God became a baby and were born. Born to die in our place. Raised to life. And the great news is all who call upon the name of the Lord, all who place their faith in him will be saved. So Holy Spirit, move amongst us. I pray that, um, that those who, who may have known this in their head would truly embrace you in their heart and they would find their rest in you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's sing. <laughs>